and welcome to this week's the net mega says podcast as usual myself ritvik the host of the show and i'm joined by the show's co-host chris hey chris hey mate you okay yeah all okay mate all okay so yeah once again a friday episode which i mean we started i guess on on a tuesday uh probably for the last few weeks and now we've been doing doing it on friday so yeah change is always good i guess yeah of course it is right right <laughs> this is this is every day of the week aren't we every day of the week <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the 78th episode of the of the natmega says podcast by the way and i mean we've come a long way i guess i mean i i, I still kind of you know kind of listen to the first episode that i i ever did and i kind of laugh at my own voice and the way i i've done it so the whole ep- the, the whole podcast started as an experiment but it's it's kind of turned out to a really good you know experience or adventure right yeah yeah it's been fun yeah absolutely absolutely i think we are, we are just uh, after after this episode i think we are 22 episodes away from hitting the century and we do plan to have some guests in some special guests in by that time so do stay tuned we are going to bring a lot of content your way but today's agenda is basically a lot of things which has come from our patron questions basically um last week we kind of uh, ducked the patron question because it was completely a different topic our best trans were 11 so this week we'll start with that particular patron question which was abinav's on barcelona chris so his question was are barcelona back to their best now and will this string of results and good performance keep messi at the club but before 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 coming to you chris i just want to tell you that erling haaland's dad Mm-hmm. Alfie Haaland and Mino Raiola had a little trip to Barcelona yesterday to Spain Barcelona first to meet with Laporta and then they went to Madrid to meet with Perez I guess so there's this little mini trip as well so do you think this is probably enough to keep Messi at the club because of all the financial constraints as well yeah yeah I think Messi will stay yeah I do I think I don't know if it's going to be financially possible for him to go anywhere else and even even um, even if he does stay that that negotiation i mean obviously that contract that he does sign is going to have to come way down they're going to have to come to some agreements on that because there's not not a chance that he can stay on the, the same contract that he's on at Barcelona given the financial predicament that they're in the only other viable option for messi to leave would be psg but at the minute from what i'm seeing they're trying to get the track they're in the process of negotiating a new contract with Neymar and they're in the process of negotiation and a new contract with Mbappé now if they try to keep them to at the club given the given the money that they're going to have to put them players on because of the because not only because of their ability but because of their age as well uh they'll have to and and the length of time that they'll want to want want to tie those players down i don't see how they could also afford to get Messi so i think Messi will stay but not necessarily because of the football future of the club although i mean we can't come on to that in a minute there there is uh, a little bit of, a bit little, little bit of sunlight on the horizon for barcelona but yeah i i, I don't see it being financially possible for them to go anywhere else and it it's kind of funny right because i mean every single team or every single manager would want to have messi and ronaldo at their club but right now the clubs that have messi and ronaldo look like they might be better off selling them due to different reasons if you look at barca probably because of the financial constraints i know still they would like to keep messi because of the performances that he's shown recently as well uh, ronaldo as well he can probably still come at clutch at, uh, i mean he can come clutch at different stages of knockout tournaments and in different games as well but for juventus as a club building i think it's better off selling him and for for barcelona it's better to sell messi from a financial point of view as well so it's kind of funny right yeah uh but yeah yeah i mean spot on i mean what juventus doing with ronaldo just sort of we 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 won't discuss that too much but it just sort of what they want to put in place with this with their managers like a philosophy a certain style of play um an entertaining style of play pressing high doesn't suit having ronaldo in the team 
he would have been much better suited to the to have a Max Allegri in charge who can adapt and build his tactics around Ronaldo as opposed to having Sarri or Pirlo from what I've seen this year. But in regards to Messi, it's just from a football point of view, I, th- I don't think his commitments or his quality can ever be in question. It's just the financial impact of his contract and whether Barcelona what want to what Barcelona want to put forward in the future. Because and his own attitude towards it as well is he going to accept having a bit part role in the future and um, can Barcelona allow allow him to have a bit part role as well because he's still he's still one of the best around. But his performances this season, especially after the turn of Christmas, have just been uh, have been fantastic and he's a big part of why the club is the club is in a good rich a rich vein of form at the moment. But there's just so many questions of what how managers are going to integrate him in the team and they're going to build the team around him, which is quality demands or are they going to sort of sort of start slowly start choosing games in which he plays but I don't know if the other players at the club are, are good enough at the moment to take up that to take up that 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 hold of saying right yeah we can still do this without him we can still challenge without him so it's a little bit intriguing to know what Barcelona are going to do moving forward uh, and it'll be intriguing to know what what happens in the summer in terms of finance as well. Because I don't th- I don't think but I think one thing's for certain, I don't think Barcelona can afford to let him go on a free transfer and then just continue with this squad. <laughs> because at the moment he is still by far Barcelona's best and most important player. That's not that's yeah. that's not that's not without question. No one can question that at the moment. You take Messi yeah. out of this Barcelona team now and they are struggling. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, from, that's that, that's basically what I said. I mean, from a performances or a performance point of view, I think it doesn't make too much sense to sell uh, Messi at this point of time because he's still their most influential player. I mean, the form that he has shown since the turn of this year has been absolutely outstanding. I think in, even the second leg against PSD was really, really good. He has turned up a lot this season. If you look at FBRF and if you look at the stats in, for for the last one year, which is like last 365 days, he is still in the 99th percentile in a few metrics, and he's he's I think still in the ni- more than 90th percentile in most in the most categories when you compare him <clears> with <throat> attacking midfielders or even forwards. So. I mean, that kind of shows you, and people say that Messi is declining. So that kind mm-hmm. of shows you that, yep, this this pro- this guy is probably, you know, something. He's still, and the, he, yeah. He's still the best in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, I mean, yeah, sorry to say Ronaldo fans. I mean, I mean, yeah, you guys can say Ronaldo is probably the best player in the world. I mean, I don't want to argue, but personally I'll for argue. me... I'll, I'll argue with him. He isn't... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I just, just just for the sake of keeping argument aside, I, I I would probably not go there. It, it kind of you know gets uh, an ugly turn at times. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, moving on to the next guy, Dieter's question. Dieter is again one of our most supportive patrons, and he has put us with five questions which we are going to discuss before we wrap up the podcast. So the first one being about the Euros. So. There was this kind of rumor that several managers, the likes of Roberto Martinez, Roberto Mancini, etc., had like uh, wanted. I mean, these guys kind of wanted uh, UEFA to allow like more than 26 players, I guess, for the Euros, fearing COVID situations. So this has not been official yet, but I heard that UEFA kind of discussed this particular thing in their meeting this past Wednesday. That's what the news outlets had to say. I heard it from BBC uh, as well as on Sky as well. Also, the five substitutions rule has been introduced, which is kind of good and might reduce the burnout which the players already have endured this season and probably in the last two, three years as well. But do you think, Chris, that this rule should probably be introduced? This rule in the sense, do you think it's good to expand the squad to more than 23 players? Probably make it thirty or twenty six or whatever. <clears throat> no, no, I don't. I don't think it's a good rule. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't see the point. I don't see the point. I really don't because 
it'd be interesting to know if anyone could give us some stats as to how many national teams actually use the full quota of players during these Europe during any World Cup or European Championships anyway. I mean, I, I've got to admit, I didn't really know too much. I remember reading something a couple of weeks back, but I didn't really know that this was like a serious proposal. I didn't know whether, who it had come from until Dieter had given us that question. So I don't know how far along it is to actually becoming a sort of an actual an actual rule, an actual allowance for for, for the... Is it, have they said before, is it just for one up this just won this one tournament or is it going to be for future tournaments? Yeah, it's it's just for this one tournament. Just this one tournament. Yeah, considering COVID and stuff. Yeah, but I mean, how how does it actually? I don't. I, I just don't understand it. So let's say twenty six players. So right, anyone England, Italy, blah, other nations allowed to take take twenty six players as opposed to twenty three. I believe what they they currently take. Uh, how is having that extra three players <clears throat> or an extra seven if they take 30 going to sort of help them in a COVID situation you can only use five substitutes anyway you can only pick 11 players you can only use five substitutes if anything it's just going to hinder club football more because more players are going to go to the tournament you're going to get four or five players from various different clubs for each mm. nation that wouldn't go anyway that are now going to go and going to train all summer when they're actually going to need a rest, so I I don't want I I think 23 players is, is is more than enough anyway because I don't believe nations use all 23 players. Mm. For, yeah. From what from what I can remember, I'm pretty sure Italy in 2006 World Cup used quite a lot of their players at the time, but that was sort of because of the manager and various other things, various tactical changes. So I know I know it does happen, but it doesn't happen often enough for to say right yeah that yeah this needs to be now implemented we need more players <laughs> we need more players for football and reasons and I know I, I just don't, I just don't get it I really to be honest I don't get everything's everything in the, in, in the world of football is getting changed at the moment and it's just like why mm. <laughs> just, yeah. just leave the game as it is I get the five <laughs> I get the five substitutions I get that given the short the short impact uh, or the short pre-season and the sort of continuous and the ongoing continuous football, say from from May last year, it's just been non-stop. Maybe they stop, I think they stopped for a month pre-season and then back to it. And then the schedule this year has been just constant. So get the need to have five players in it this year. I, I really do. Although I hope that stops. Uh, but I just don't. Yeah. To, oh, let's take 26 or 30 players. No, no. For me, that I, I don't agree with it. I don't see the point. If, if if anything, if they're going on about for COVID, if anything, there's more chance of getting it. If there's more players within the bubble, there's more chance of catching it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I thought of the same point again. I mean, you look at the 11 players that's going to start, you're going to introduce five, substitute, five substitutes. Okay, that's good. But would you go beyond that? How, how, how much would you go beyond that? Say, say for example, you have a 26-man squad. I mean, how often are you going to use probably, apart from seven possible substitutes, how often are you going to use the next nine? So that, that's yeah. something that's really important. Is that might act, actually affect club football, like you said. Again, I, you don't want to build more fatigue, more burnout for the players coming on to next season. And the, the World Cup year is coming close as well. So you don't yeah. want to do that to the players because the players are human beings after all. But I think one possible when I was... Reading details question, I was pondering stuff and one possible, you know, suggestion or no, one possible solution to this could be, say, for example, a player catches COVID and he is out in that certain circumstance. Maybe you you, you don't call up extra players, say you have just a 23 man squad, but in that certain circumstance, you probably get the provision to call an extra player who is who's, who's not no, who's not listed in the 23-man squad. So I think that that probably could be a viable alternative or a viable solution to this. I know that might yeah. affect that extra player's uh, vacation or whatever. But again, I think that's probably a viable solution. Maybe the manager can probably indicate to several players that you might probably be you know, a kind of a standby list, right? Yeah, yeah. I know I know. What I initially when the, the squads are named, aren't they? They always take... They always take 30 players and then they have to, or they always take like 26 players and they have to, because they're not final on the 23 and then they have to cut two or three players off, don't they? And then so, and then there's always a few players on standby. 
Uh, anyway, that I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that happens anyway. So I mean, it's a good shout, but I'm pretty sure it happens anyway. That two or three players are always named on a standby. I remember, I always remember in the 2002 World Cup when Steven Gerrard got injured, Danny Murphy was on standby. Uh, I got called up to the and then I think he got injured as well. So, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty sure that would happen anyway. Uh, the standby, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, but I'm trying to think of reasons now in my head as to any other viable option to, to take more players. And you could also have the argument that the players with the bigger national pool, such as France, it would give them a more, even more of a chance of winning the tournament because they've got a better national pool of players at the moment. Than yeah, yeah. So, do you know what I mean? It doesn't give the manager that sort of that sort of oh, who do I have to choose? Player A or player B? I know I'm going to choose player A, and then and then later on in the tournament he's made a mistake. You can if he's taking 30 players, you can just say right, I'll take both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So and and that sort of that ruins the excitement of football. At the moment. Exactly. I mean, like 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 you said, there's a lot of change. I think human beings in nature kind of you know are are not very much favorable to change happening but if it's a good change okay they kind of adapt to it and they kind of accept it probably in a, in in some time but you know normally personally I, i i don't like a huge change and i think in football we are seeing too much of that so yeah, yeah like you said i don't i get, yeah i don't i like i, I think i put a tweet out the other day and it was just sort of let's I don't mind things getting reformatted or restructured that's always happened in football right through the history of football I mean he talked in the 1960s they talked about doing a Super League so the Super League's never going to go away and things like that I don't mind I'm not, I don't mind them changing you've seen various rules of football got, used to be two points for a win now it's three points so mm-hmm. little changes like that I don't know. I don't necessarily think you can call them changes. That's just sort of like reformatting. But when you're yeah. trying to change the game completely, and you know, oh right, yeah, where does it stop? Let's take 40 players. Do you know what I mean? Next, it'll be like for international tournaments. I know we don't have to pick a squad of players. We can just pick any 11 that we want for each game. <laughs> do you know what I mean? We just call up them 11 <laughs> players for each game. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, come on, just tweak it. But don't don't start yeah. trying to change it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Where's the expi- Where's the excitement in that? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's no yeah. sport and integrity in it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on then back to club football now. I think all the remaining questions are probably club football related. So the next one being about Ajax. Data's question yeah. being, can Ajax win the Europa League? So Ajax play AS Roma in the quarter, in the quarterfinals. I think Villarreal play. Uh, who, 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 who does Villarreal play? I'm not sure. But if you look at their possible, you know, I mean, the possible teams that are favorites. I think Manchester United probably are the biggest favorites. Uh, you have Arsenal. You have Villarreal because of Unai Emery and the way he he thinks in the knockout tournaments. He's a master of the Europa League, of course. And yeah. AS Roma, who are basically Ajax's opponents in the semi-final. Sorry, in the in the quarter-final, I mean. So, yeah. do you think Ajax can win the Europa League, Chris? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, just to obviously put it's Danimo Zagreb that I've got Villarreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, they can, yeah. I, I think they can win it, but, I mean... It, For me, they've got the toughest draw at this stage. Then Ajax and Roma playing each other uh, for me is is the is the best draw of the round and probably the toughest for either team, just given the way they both tactically set up. Either team could go through. Uh, they're both on the same level with each other, uh, and I wouldn't make necessarily one team more favourite than the other in that in that specific tie. Uh, so I I believe Ajax uh, certainly can win it. But sitting on the fence, a few other clubs can win it. I'm not sure Manchester United are quite as clear favourites as people are making out. I, I don't believe that. I mean, they've got Granada will prove to be a tricky draw for them. But I, I, I don't think I don't look at Manchester United and say they're a level above Roma or a level above Arsenal or or they're a level above Ajax themselves. So they've probably got a bit more quality and depth of the squad as opposed to the other teams. But I don't make them clear favourites to win the Europa League. Like I said, uh, Unai Emery as well has got experience 
of winning this trophy knows how to win it. So it's quite it's quite an open tournament at this at this stage. So Ajax have got as good a chance as any, uh, but they, but they've also got the toughest draw. But mm. yeah, you look at the you look at the league form. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Eredivisie is basically wrapped up now. Uh, I wouldn't. I think I, I, I think I think they're eleven point. Are they eleven or nine points clear from last time I looked with a game in hand? Uh, I think they're eleven. But yeah, they're eleven points clear with a game in hand. So th- that's basically wrapped up. Uh, they're in good form coming into. They've only lost two games uh, in the league all season. They're in good form coming into the tournament. Uh, coming into uh, coming into this uh, tie against Roma, and yeah, it'll just be it'll just be whether they can uh, mm. if they can get over this latest obstacle. Really, they can go on and win it. It would be good. It would be good for the team outside outside of sort of the elite teams to win it. Yeah, I mean, for me, in my opinion, I, I think it would probably surprise me a bit if Ajax go on and win. I mean, I'm not taking yeah. anything anything away from Ajax. I think Ajax probably have probably have a good chance of getting into the semi-finals because AS Roma, despite having a pretty, pretty good season uh, in in the Serie A this this time out, I think they yeah. are kind of they, they kind of not no kind of impressed me a lot against bigger teams in bigger matches. I don't think they've quite, quite they're not quite being convincing, I would say. That's that's probably the word. They've yeah. not been very convincing in bigger games. Although they've been able to put the smaller teams aside probably comparatively well. So, I think there's a good chance that Ajax make the semi-final. But then, if you have Manchester United, Arsenal and Villarreal, um, I think it's going to be pretty, pretty hard. I mean, I'm not ruling out any chances for Ajax because this is football after all, and but well, it would well, probably surprise me a bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't make them. It, it would be a little bit of a surprise. It'd be very good, but I believe, I mean, like I said, Rome, Roman are pr- pretty much. I mean, they're sitting six and Serie A. They're pretty much where they are. They're supposed to be. Uh, and I know most Roman fans may look at it and go, "Well, they're good enough to finish in the top four places." Uh, they are, but I don't think they're quite on the level of, say, an Atalanta or Juventus or Napoli. And I think I think this season they've basically beat who they should beat. They probably got beat. I know they, they are fixed yet. I can't say that for every game, but they've beat who they should beat and probably been beaten by who they should have been beaten by. Uh, I know that, what, what I was meaning is that they are fixed yet. Obviously, goes the other way. Uh, I'm not talking about every single game, but I'm just they're just sitting pretty much where they are at the moment. So it's quite an intriguing tie between the two teams because you, you've got Ajax who are sort of obviously got to the Europa League final and now it's a different team and a different manager then they've got to the Champions League semi-final so they're building up experience of getting in, getting into the, uh, the later rounds of tournaments now so for that and obviously you know I'm a big fan of the manager anyway I think it's only a matter of time before he takes a top job in Europe so and and they'll all, and they'll always replenish the squad. They'll always come through with youngster players. And they have got a couple of exciting players at the moment, and they're a good team to watch. And they are actually a, not just a good team to watch, a good team as well. So I think they've got a chance just because of that, really. Uh, but then Roma are capable of beating them. So it is an exciting, it is, it is a very exciting tie, and it is definitely the toughest tie uh, for each team at this point. But yeah, you again. You can't, you you can't, you just can't rule out the other teams either. It'll be a, mm. quite an exciting tournament, to be honest. Yeah, I, I mean, personally, I think Ajax were quite a bit underwhelming in the Champions League. They were in Liverpool's group, so I kind of caught yeah. all of them a little bit more closely. They were good, but I still felt that they were a bit underwhelming. They probably could have done a bit better and qualified for the knockouts instead of Ooh, Atalanta. Do you think instead of Atalanta? I don't think they're, a, I don't think they're a better team than Atalanta at the moment. Well, mind you, I mean, this season, Atalanta seemed to be in a bit, little bit more of a, a going through a little bit more of a transition season mm. themselves, a little bit inconsistent. So I suppose an opportunity was there. Yeah, for, that's what that's what that that's yeah. what that's what I probably meant as well. I mean, I don't think they are necessarily a better team than Atlanta, squad wise, yeah. manager, everything. I mean, when you consider everything, uh, but I think there was a chance. They had a good chance. I think they were probably. Probably in a decent position to qualify, I guess, at one stage. But yeah. but then they kind of slipped it down. And what, you know, why I'm, I I will be probably surprised if I win the Europa League is because they are going to be daily blind. 
I'm not sure how long he'll be out for. He got a terrible injury. I think he might even miss the Euros. Is what a lot of I mean, there, there were a few rumors that he might even miss the Euros. So, Daily Blind is probably going to be a, a big miss, I guess, for Ajax. And another big, you know, kind of mix-up was that they bought Sebastian Haller in January, mm-hmm. who's done pretty well in in the Eredivisie. Six goals, yeah. five assists in 919 minutes, which is like really good. But they completely missed out on including him in the Europa League squad, which was a complete mess. So, yeah. I mean, that's again, I mean, he's been in really good form in the league. So, it would have been great to have him in the Europa League and that would probably have given them a little bit more chance. So, I think you, you, they're going to miss Tableen, they're going to miss Haller as well. So, that again, probably adds to why I think Ajax might not be able to win the Europa League. But yeah. again... They did beat Lille in the round in the, in the round of 32 of the Europa League. Lille, especially, they've been really good this season in yeah. Ligue 1. And they even beat Young Boys in the round of 16, who yeah. who, who actually beat Bayer Leverkusen in the round of 32, I guess. So, yeah, I think I I think it's going to be it it's it's going to surprise me if uh, if Ajax kind of win the Europa League. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think I'll be as a surprise as yourself, but it. Uh, but as well, again, every time I look at a team, I'm saying that. But then when I look, when I keep looking at the teams, and another player or another 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 prompt pops in my mind. So yeah, they're not favourites. We'll just leave it. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. not favourites. But it, it would yeah. uh, maybe maybe it's my heart speaking over my head on this one. So I would love someone <laughs> like Ajax to win it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I would definitely love to see Ajax win over Manchester United or Arsenal, of course. So. Yeah. So, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Manchester United and Arsenal are getting enough opportunities at the moment to qualify for the Champions League. Yeah. So, basically, the whole tournament's getting reshaped just to get them in it. So Exactly, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I mean, we spoke about young boys and that probably might transition us better to the next topic. Peter Boss, Bayer Leverkusen, ex-Bayer Leverkusen, I should say because he just got sacked by them after having yeah. a brilliant start to the season. So, Dieter's question was, what do you think is next for Peter Boss? Which club do you do you see appointing Peter Boss next? I mean, I'll come to you, Chris, but this is pretty much a tricky, a tricky question again, a tricky topic to deal with because Bayer Leverkusen, until 19th December, before they faced Bayern Munich, they were in a title race in the Bundesliga. They were yeah. going head to head versus Bayern Munich. They had a two-one loss. It's it was even it wasn't even a big loss. It was just a two-one loss. They got outplayed by Bayern Munich. I agree. But since then, they played 13 games in the Bundesliga and they've picked up just 12 points. That's less than a point every game, which is completely bad. Which is really really bad. I think they sit sixth or seventh right now. I think behind uh, Borussia Dortmund. I, I'm not. Completely sure. I did not look at the league table. I guess, but they, I, I, I guess they, they are behind Borussia Dortmund. I think right now at the moment. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yep. And Peter Boss got sacked. Great start to the season. Great beginning. People thought probably yes, this is finally Peter Boss delivering what he should have, and then it completely goes overboard. I mean, they, they beat, they beat Frankfurt. Right, they beat Frankfurt in the DFB Pokal first. Then they lost to fourth division side Essen. They got knocked out. They got knocked out by young boys in the Europa League. And what's even funnier, I mean, what even looks funnier for me is, Chris, I looked at the last 13 or something games, I guess. They lost to Hertha Berlin. They lost to Armenia. They lost to Freiburg. They, they lost two games to young boys. They lost against Essen. They lost against Leipzig. They lost against Wolfsburg. And they lost against Union Berlin. But the wins they had, the three wins they had were against Borussia Mönchengladbach, Stuttgart and Borussia Dortmund. Three good sides. Again, yeah. I would say three good sides. And they kind of drew against Augsburg and Mainz. So they're losing against teams they probably should have beaten. But they kind of picked up points lucky or I wouldn't say lucky points they probably picked up good points where they were expected to you know face tougher opponents so I I I I, I don't know what what happened with Peter Boss I don't I really really don't know what do you think yeah it's becoming a little bit of a trend 
throughout his managerial, managerial career now. I mean, his teams are really exciting to watch. If, if I had to give him a label uh, uh, as to why maybe things got wrong, is that he's too Cruyffian for modern-day football. What I mean by that is that if you watch Barcelona under Johan Cruyff play, there's been many disciples or what they get called disciples of total football and uh, the Johan Cruyff model, uh, if we want to call it that. Obviously, been plenty and um, plenty of managers. Obviously, one main one in particular, and Pep Guardiola, that has followed that sort of philosophy on. But what needs to be remembered with managers now is Guardiola doesn't copy Cruyff football and then try and implement it now. He's evolved it and he's took elements from it and then used and then put his own his own sort of thought process into it to make it be able to work as well. When you look at Peter Bosch's team, he is very much he's Dutch. His teams always play 4-3-3 and they play exactly like total football was played in the 90s and the 80s and there's just no room for that. You can't you can't play like that in the modern day, especially with the, the enhancements of pressing and everyone's pressing mid-block, high-block, low-block now. There's too much adaptation towards it. So from a tactical point of view, it's, it's very one-dimensional. His uh, teams are exciting to watch, but it's... It, he, he never adapts it. It's like we're playing this way, and it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it doesn't change. I mean, whenever you watch, you'll ever, it was the same when he was at Borussia Dortmund, and it was the same when he was at Ajax. I don't actually believe he won the league at Ajax. Either. I think, which is a must for any Ajax manager. I'm pretty sure he finished third or maybe even fourth. I have to double check that one because I know the end. The, yeah, it was Peter Bosch that lost the Europa League final, wasn't it? To to uh, to Jose Mourinho of Manchester United. So. His teams always leave gaping holes at the back. Uh, don't get me wrong, they've always got lots of attacking intent, which are very good on the eye. But the minute the, his teams seem to stop scoring goals, they get beat. And the, the reason is they need to score two, three, four goals to win to win football matches because they always they always concede goals as well. And I think Leverkusen this season have been slightly unlucky with a few injuries. Uh, I believe the. Uh, Lars and Sven Bender were both injured at certain points. Um, so, again, as you know, as a Liverpool fan, everyone loves an injury excuse, but I don't think that can uh, can actually hold up the actual decline that we've seen, like you mentioned. I think the Bayern Munich score in the last minute, I think Lewandowski scored in the last minute against them. If, if that goal didn't go in, the Bayern Leverkusen were going top of the league on December the 19th. <laughs> so they had a, that sort of shows how much, how good they were at the beginning of the season. And um, what we're seeing now is just a complete... And the teams that you've mentioned there, I suppose I don't think anyone could question the, sack, uh, the decision to sack him. He's out He's out of the, the Europa League, like you mentioned. It's just, yeah... I'm, I'm trying to think of, of teams that he could actually go on and manage. I suppose the type of football that he, he implements, um, I, I think German football is probably ideal for it, or Spanish football. Mm. I doubt, I doubt yeah. it. I, I can't see him managing in Italy or England. I think there's too much adaptation required for him to do that. So I think, I, I think, I think the, two, the two leagues... Yeah, I think... Or, Especially, especially in England. Yeah, mate. I mean, like you said, especially in England, if you have to, I mean, if you have to actually put him, I think he might have to probably be a little bit more pragmatic than he is right now. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm not knocking. Sometimes I've watched Leverkusen predominantly last season more than I have this season, if I'm honest. Uh, and they had, they had Kai Havertz last year. Who, and Peter Bosch for all his criticism, deserves great credit for the for what he got out of Havertz because he was very, very good last year. And he, he had uh, he had the solution playing him up front in the 4-3-3, playing centrally uh, as part of the three and sort of, and everyone likes to use the false nine indicator these days, don't they? But he, he, was, he was playing in that false nine role, which was very good for Kai, Kai, Kai Havertz and he got the best out of him. So the football he implements, when it works, is fantastic to watch and it's very good on the eye. But like I said, it's, it's just too creepy. It, it doesn't seem like it's been evolved. It's like watching Holland in the 1974 World Cup and the 1978 World Cup. And it's like watching Barcelona under, under Cruyff. It's, it doesn't work to that extent or in that way in the modern game. 
So he, he has to adapt. And it doesn't, when you look at his Bruce, the Borussia Dortmund situation or how that fell apart, and you look at this Leverkusen situation on how this is felt, it's very similar. Once they get on these runs, he finds it hard to get out of them. It's like, and that's what separates good managers from the very best. What, what, stopping a bad run? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't actually think of any certain or any particular clubs that I think might actually go for him. But like, like, like you mentioned, I don't see him coming to the Premier League anytime soon. I think again, German football, the Bundesliga is probably his best shot, if not the Eredivisie. Maybe Spain yeah. as well, to an extent, I would say, yes. Uh, I don't think he is going to move to France either. So, probably a mid-table side in, in the La Liga or probably, again, a mid-table side in the Bundesliga might be his next shot. And I think wherever he goes next, one thing that I, 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 I could say is wherever he goes next might be his last chance to kind of get another big shot, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's not done a bad job at Leverkusen. Hmm, I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think. I mean, I don't think by him, I don't think by any by Leverkusen fans are gonna be expecting them to win the league. Uh, but it's just the times at the moment and how far they are outside the Champions League places. Um, I think it's seven points now behind Frankfurt, aren't they? So I mean, and the form doesn't look like t- changing, uh, given given the convincing. Uh, how convincing they are in defeat. It doesn't. It doesn't like it changes soon. So, like like you said, a team would maybe who's sort of looking to build on a a, a certain style of play and they're looking to implement players into that that system and they're going to allow t- time to build would probably be a little bit more ideal for them as opposed to a team who expect to um, expect to be challenging for say certain for Champions League places. Um, within the nation or within that desired country uh, each year is probably more ideal for them. But yeah, I mean, if you look at German football at the moment, it's all about transition, isn't it? Everything's transition, transition. I don't think the teams are sort of, oh, we like to attack, we like to defend. Everything's how they get from defence to attack or how they get from attack to defence. Probably a little bit too much at the moment because if you look at German football at the moment, the defending... (laughs) <laughs> within the league especially this season I've seen some absolutely horrendous defending in that league Same. and you just think Same. yeah uh, Spain's very sort of what uh, not so much on a transition but uh, most teams look, look to play out from the back they look to progress the ball through thirds uh, I think you can only really think maybe Granada and Atletico Madrid are the only teams that come to my mind that sort of don't look to play out from the back and look to uh, uh, play possession pres- possession uh, based football so that again leagues like that would be ideal for him I don't I definitely don't see him coming to uh, going to an Italian league anytime soon like you said I don't think he, like you said he's not adaptable enough for the Premier League given the, the given the sort of the, the mixture within uh, the, the mixture of tactics used and the different types of football used within our league it, it would be too much you it reminds me a bit of Roberto Martinez, and I always say this about these types of managers because I got to witness that first hand at Everton. It was sort of the same every game. It was like you're not mixing this up ever. It's the same system, it's the same start, the same approach, and it was it was never changing. And what once teams fit work that out to Monday football, every team will work it out. If one team works it out, every team will work it out eventually. And that's what's happening to Leverkusen at the moment. They just they just can't. They just can't adapt. And I think that, I think you have to say that's coming that's coming from the manager because history proves Bruce Dortmund was the same and I am quite the same as well under him. So mm. Mm. It's, it's it's hard it's hard to answer these to the question in terms of naming a specific club, but in terms of type of club, I think we've both covered the one both covered the, the type of clubs that he, he he needs to be managing and in the type of league. Yeah, absolutely. And we have two more questions from Dieter remaining, which probably are kind of predictions or, you know, make a pick kind of questions. Yeah. I mean, one of them is predicting the CL first leg fixtures. I mean, we'll come to that towards the end because it's just about predictions. But the penultimate question is, Chris, about the winter transfers and 
who you think is probably who who you think has probably been the best January signing this time out. Uh, well, that's a good question, that isn't it? Mm. Probably a little bit hard to answer given given that. From off the top of my head, most, most transfers sort of went through towards the back end of January, so they haven't really had a great deal of time to make an impact. Exactly, uh, yeah. But at the top of, top of my mind, I think Jesse Lingard's been very good for West Ham. I think he's been ideal, uh, ideal for what what they need, and, and he will keep them challenging that uh, for the top four, top five, top six places in the Premier League until the end of the season. He scored goals. He's uh, he's contributing with assists. And it's just his, his style of play is perfect for the David Moyes team. So, but the, the, he comes to the, the top of my head. He, he popped into my brain straight away. Uh, <clears throat> but I'm trying to think now. I think Milik was a good signing for Marseille. Uh, I know they've had a change of manager as well since, and a little bit of ch- and a change in ownership. But I don't know whether I think that, that would be sort of. It probably leads a little bit more more time towards the end of the season before we sort of looking at the the effect that he has on them. Uh, you mentioned Sebastian Haller as well for Ajax. Uh, did you say he scored six goals? Did you respect already? Yeah, six goals and five assists yeah. in nine hundred plus minutes. Yeah, so I mean that. So I don't think you can argue with the impact he's had on them. He knows that league very well as well from his days at Utrecht. So. Uh, maybe he's perfect. He's perfect uh, for that league. I know he struggled a little bit at West Ham. I actually think he's a really, really good player, Sebastian Haller. Thought he's done. Fa- thought he was fantastic for Frank Fair while he was there, and he certainly got more, a lot more to offer than what it was showing at West Ham. I don't think it was all down to him as well. Uh, but obviously, for whatever reason, West Ham just fan- maybe financial reasons for that he could get him off the books and obviously get a significant fee for him. Uh, I'm trying to think. I think Tomori as well. I thought that was a very good uh, signing for for AC Milan, given the fact that in some games they do like to play high up the pitch, and his pace has become vital. Will be vital for them, especially with the running. Now, uh, what they sort of aim to maintain uh, that they get Champions League football. But uh, other than them, I can't really think. I know people, Arsenal fans might sh- shout out and say Martin Aldegaard for them on loan is a good signing. I think we've seen glimpses of what he can do over the last couple of weeks, but I wouldn't really say he's been he's had a, 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 an absolutely huge impact on that team just yet. But yeah, they're they're, they're the ones that, that that pop into my head. I can't really think. What about yourself? I mean, you stole my answer when you said Jesse Lingard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, seven goal contributions in 615 minutes. He he didn't play a single minute for Manchester United this season, by the way, in the Premier League. So. Coming to West Ham directly and having that kind of him, kind of an impact all of a sudden was probably you know really really cool. I, I I mean not in a thousand years I thought Jesse Lingard would have that kind of an impact that he's had so far. I think he's yeah. even got called called up for England, right? So yeah, that's, that's that's a big one. Five goals, two assists in 650 minutes, averaging one key pass per 90 minutes, and you know kind of. Close to four short creating actions every 90 minutes as well. And like you said, fits David Moyes' style of play, works hard. I mean, that's what David Moyes wants. When you want want your team to defend, he's there. He's there to put in shift. So I think he's been a really, really good signing. Sebastian Haller, again, like you mentioned earlier. Josh Maja for Fulham, I think, is yeah. probably my outside pick because I think he's he's kind of still... He's still been, a, I think, a good signing. But... But since you stole my Lingard answer, I'll go out of the box here and I'll say Thomas Tuchel. Oh, yeah, go on with the manager. Go on with yeah. the manager. Yeah, I'll yeah. keep it out of the box. And I think there's no doubt when you look at managers, I think Thomas Tuchel has been like the signature signing or the signature yes. replacement so far. I mean, what an impact he's had since this come on. So, yeah. I mean, I don't need to explain it too much because we we already seen we already kind of discussed it in bits and bits so yeah yeah so I think Thomas Tuchel with the kind of impact that he's had so far I mean he's yet to lose a single game so (laughs) that speaks volume I think it's been more than two months so yeah Thomas Tuchel for me I'll go out of the box here since you since you went with Jesse Lingard and moving on to the final question Chris the Champions League predictions first leg what do you think just, just give me your scores and just give me a one-liner as to why. Uh, 
What just for the ties this week? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think we, not, we we have we have or, the four games this week. Or yeah, all, yeah. All, all the other games, yeah. First yeah, leg games. So so right, Real Madrid, Liverpool. I'm gonna go with an eight 0 Real Madrid win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, sorry, I just I just woke up. Uh, <laughs> it must have just been a dream, man. <laughs> uh, now I'm gonna go. Do you want the specific score or just the type? Do you want the specific score there? That's quite. Yeah, just go. Just yeah, just go with a specific score. Let's 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 see how many how many we we get right before we record the next one. Okay then. Uh, right, I'm gonna go one all for Real Madrid Liverpool. Um, mm. For Manchester City Borussia Dortmund, I'm gonna go for three one Manchester City, maybe three two. Uh, for Bayern PSG, I'm gonna come to that one last. Uh, that's Wednesday. That, that definitely the Wednesday game, isn't it? Bayern Bayern PSG. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Porto mm, and Chelsea. Mm, the other yeah. game. Uh, Porto and Chelsea. I'm gonna go one nil Chelsea. And mm. for Bayern PSG. Now this game has changed, obviously, because Robert Lewandowski's injury <laughs> this week. Yeah. I'm gonna go with two one PSG. Mm. Mm. Just I to mean, be radical and out there. Just, yeah. yeah. Let's mix it up a little bit. Before and by me now, but <laughs> mm. I mean my prediction is kind of very similar to yours as well. Two predictions matching. Real Madrid, Liverpool. I know Sergio Ramos has got injured. I think he's out for a month, which means he'll he'll miss both the legs. So, but I think Madrid probably no, they're probably disciplined when tactically well disciplined when Zinedine Zidane wants them to. So yeah. I think they'll they'll kind of probably not be very expansive and they'll probably try to sit back a bit against yeah. Liverpool and try to pinch it in the second leg away at Anfield if, yeah. if the game goes on at Anfield. So I think it's going to be a 1-1 draw. I kind of agree with your prediction as well. As for Manchester City, Borussia Dortmund, 3-0 for me, for Manchester 3-0. City. 3-0 Manchester City for me. <laughs> Bayern PSG is like you said Robert Lewandowski is going to be a big big miss I mean I, I, I mean I can't probably emphasize how big a miss is going to be because whenever you think Bayern are going to go down Robert Lewandowski pops up at the right moment you saw that against Stuttgart how how, how quickly the game changed after Alfonso Davies got sent off despite Alfonso Davies getting sent off so but but still but still, I kind of think Hansi Flick will pull himself together. And I think that game probably, Mauricio Pochettino, I think, won't probably try to risk again since it's the first leg. I yeah. still go with a 1-1 draw. 1-1 draw by NPC. And as for Porto Chelsea, once again, I agree with you because Chelsea has had troubles scoring a lot of goals. So I think a 1-0 win for Chelsea might again wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a tight yes. game. That it'll be very. It's a two two completely different. Uh, Porto going to be good. Allow Chelsea to have the ball. Chelsea are very good with the ball, but like you said, they don't score a lot of goals uh, on the two club. But they do enough to win games. So, but they're, de- they're definitely not yeah. defensive. I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't be surprised to see the result go the other way, one 0 to Porto. But I just fancy I, I fancy Chelsea. I think they're very good. Uh, very good. They're not only they're not only good from an attacking perspective with the ball, they're actually good from a defensive perspective with the ball. Mm. Uh, I mean, if you compare it with all the other three fixtures, one thing that sets this game apart is Chelsea's defensive solidity. I mean, they don't allow too many shots, so I, I don't think they allow you know Edward Mendy to be tested a lot. Yeah, I mean, you you can see you can see based on data or even when you watch Chelsea's game that. You don't see Edward Mendy being a lot involved, you know, try to protect yeah. his goal. So they don't allow a lot of shots, which is, which is, I think, a really, really good way to prevent all the troubles. And that's something that that speaks a lot of how Thomas Tuchel has kind of changed or solidified Chelsea from mm. what Frank Lampard had. Yeah, and I think with PSG as well, I mentioned where on our Champions League review. When, yeah. uh, the other week with Sadesh is they don't seem like they don't seem like they've transitioned completely to Mauricio Pochettino's ideas yet however since that podcast I mean they were very good against Leon 
they're not real out of the French Cup. They they come into this game in good form. They actually look like they're there now. They look like they're playing well. And that's why I fancy them to beat Bayern Munich in this game. I really do. And I think it proves that Pochettino listens to this podcast as well. Because he's obviously heard me say that. <laughs> and now he's got, his, he's got his ideas in order. So, yeah, they can thank me for selling them that they need to pull the finger out in the last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's 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 see who gets who gets up. I mean, who gets the most predictions, right? And let's kind of have a bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, we yep. will be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, who, whoever gets the whoever gets the most votes, uh, no, get get uh, will will get the other guy to say their team is bad uh, on next week's podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yes, that brings us to the end of this episode. Once again, a really fun episode. I mean, we thought of probably having separate agendas in addition to the patron questions, but but since the patron questions itself were like really good and in depth and would no continual discussions, we thought we'd just side with this one. Once again, thank you so much to our patrons Dieter, Abhinav, and the others as well, Paul Seiner and Ameya. who who support us a lot and thank you for this wonderful questions which has probably powered this podcast thank you to all our listeners as well to, for tuning into our show we have new music for you in the in the intro and out, the outro music is pretty much the same so you can probably dance or shake a leg to it <laughs> and mm-hmm. once again chris <laughs> it's it's always a pleasure talking football to you unless it's a merseyside derby and everton win Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I'll keep me. For, I, I won't bring that up, mate. I know I'm just paying it was for. It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yes, that brings us to the end of this episode. Until the next one. Bye. Bye. Take care.